Welcome to Highway Diary. I'm your host, Eric Hollerbach. This is Highway Diary, episode 378. I'm joined by Enjoyable Listens frontman, Luke Duffett. Hello. You right? Yeah, I'm good. Um, so it was a pleasure to meet you over South By. I think I picked you up from your hotel. I drove you to a gig. Um, you did. You know, uh, it, don't, don't worry about it. I'm just having some crisps. So I've learned some lingo to prepare for this. I'm just having oh, some crisps. Don't you? Don't you? I'm gonna I'm gonna back and you. <laughs> so um, what are these? Those uh, those uh, I don't know. You tell me they're like uh, they're not biscuits. They're um, they're crackers, aren't they? That's yeah, really cheese cool. crackers. And you said yeah. you had a friend who called cheese crackers or cheese its. There's a very famous brand in America, cheese its. These are yeah, a grocery my... store brand cheese its otherwise known as jalapeno cheddar cheese crackers your friend called them crisps and then you unfriended yeah. him on facebook on instagram yeah. you don't associate he, with this person he is a wanker certifiably <laughs> um anything surprised you at america that was not your first time stateside how was south by southwest as a independent musician uh, this year, it was a lot more favorable, I found. Um, the previous year was a little bit jittery, obviously, post-pandemic. People are still finding their feet. Um, but I spoke to some guys who, who, like, came to see our show, and his band had played South by in 94. And he, uh, he was reminiscing over an era when it was more about being discovered by the right people as opposed to networking, which is what it seems that South by is these days. You know, just endless handshakes and... Uh, and uh, people wanting to pass you their very shiny business card. But that being said, this year was a lot more wholesome. I had a good time. I met a lot of lovely people. Did some things I regret, but that's that's fine. Any anything you can share on the record uh, of probably regrettable? Not, probably not on the record. Uh, yeah, probably not on the record. If you want to find out, just you know, Facetime me at some point. Okay. Um, so I, to prepare for this interview, I read an interview you did with Mr. James Outen and, oh, uh, Jimmy. uh, and you said this on the record, uh, the anticipation of South by Southwest did make us think we were onto something, but when we got there and had five or six shows, I say, we, it was just me and Jamie had serious pawnbrokering to do. It was a lot of playing in hotel lobbies to somewhat disinterested people. I mean, we definitely converted them into fans, but there are some really special moments last night. It was a bit of a homecoming, a full room of people that we had seen on other shows. It was quite electric. And then, um, so the anticipation for South by the anticipation is that it's like, before you get on the plane, it's like as rock stars, like, how does the anticipation meet up to reality? It doesn't at all by any stretch. Um, but I, I, I just, I, I, I just wrote an article for um, uh, a showcase festival in Rotterdam called Left of the Dial, who asked me to share my experience. And my first bit of advice to any band traveling to any showcase festival is to immediately quell any anticipation you have um, in terms of, you know, meeting the right people or like any big breaks it's just not that at all it's like you go out there you have a holiday you have fun you do weird things you have sigs with people that you know and don't know and people that don't want to know you and then after that you just go back to your life and the memories are there and you tell people the memories and they go ah oh, that's nice 
Um, after after South by, I read on Facebook you wrote this specifically. Well, thank you, Austin, for the good times, for the bad times, for the feeling just a little bit sad times, for the great times, for the cool times, for the chilling after a big fight by the pool times. Uh Uh-oh. For the movers and the shakers, and this whole thing was a mistakers. There was a fight by the pool? Well, I don't know. Oh, dear. I mean, you know, Jimbo and I have known each other for north of 10 years now, and like we've never really been that. Like we've been friends, we've been really good friends, but also we've never really had a trouble in in terms of laying out how we feel, despite getting quite venomous. Um, and also, you know, he was sharing a, a a super eight motel room with a married couple for an entire week, so there was, you know, obviously. But then I, I like high tensions. I think I we, we we both function well under pressure, but also that entire um, post is a rip off of. Uh, I'm sure you're unaware, but. In the UK, with our McDonald's adverts, there's a real kind of like, like if, if things rhyme in an advert, then people are far more likely to pay attention to it. You know, this one's for the up at 6am. This one's for the dad taking his son home from football practice. This one's for the traders. This one's for the roller skaters. Mm. This one's for the feeling a little bit lonely, you know, in a, in a very soothing tone. So that's what that was saying. Um, let me yeah, know. no, I mean, I, yeah. Let me continue your post. In all of in all of seriousness, I have left South by Southwest. It was a very special time. Met some special friends and watched some eye-opening new acts. I had nice tacos. Thank you so much to everyone who spent time out here. Hopefully, see you soon. Also, we ran out of cash pretty early on. So if you want one of these enjoyable listens t-shirts in XL or XXL. Please send me 20 pounds via PayPal and I'll send you that bad boy out to you as fast. Thanks for the money. Um, you know, so you were saying that high tensions between uh you and Mr. Jimbo. You know, oh, always. Um, you know, you you're you're budgeting at the skin of your teeth. Before you go out, you got a pawn. Did you have to pawn possessions of yours to make flights? Well, no. I, I was I was doing okay. I knew that I could just hit my overdraft, but Jamie, he's um he's a careful man. He he paints you know do you have Warhammer in the States? What's a Warhammer? No, it's War War Warhammer like little figurines that nerds play with. It's like a strategy game, like a like a fantasy strategy game and you have these little miniaturette figures. Okay. And Jay Jay paints those um as a side hustle. So he'd 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 run up a bit of cash doing that. But he blew it pretty early on. It was just so expensive out there. You know, I, I paid um forty dollars for three three hundred and thirty mil. I don't know, I think it's like twelve ounce. Well, what's the small the small cans of beer? Not the, yeah. the tall boys are small. Twelve twelve ounce, three hundred and fifty milliliters. Yeah, I I paid forty dollars for three cans of twelve ounce beers at the BME. Um so that 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 ran us ran us out of cash pretty quickly. It was it was a savage time, but um, I did I did sell a few t-shirts, none of which I've posted out yet, which I really need to do. Mm. Um, but Kesara Sara, such is life. <laughs> um, I think, and I had a there's a comic in Austin called Maggie Mayfeld, and we're great friends, and we just did a podcast about the delusion you must have 
a little bit of delusion and a lot of talent and a lot of tenacity. I mean, that's the formula. I've never heard it differently from anyone else I've ever spoken with. And she's like, you know, she is about to shoot her special in one week and I'm going to go, you know, be there to support her. I think she's great. But, you know, it's a lot. Where's the special being filmed? Uh, The East Side Comedy Club. I believe it's April 19 and 20th. So shout out to Megan Mayfield. The details are on ericollerbach.com. I have the tickets. I'm taking nothing, no no portion of that from it. But um, I see that she's like performing five nights a week now to prep for that. Because once she records it, it's on the internet, tattooed on the internet forever, you know? Mm. And it's very serious. But, you know, I think... Uh, it's always an uphill battle. I film my own stand-up specials that cost me 16 grand. YouTube Woo! YouTube is sitting on one point a hundred billion dollars. They didn't give me one dollar for that, but it's all really? it's all promotion. But uh hey, you know, isn't it? It's weird that you can't eat uh crisps with promotion money. Isn't that weird? You can't eat crisps with promotion money. With, prom- with, with, with promotion money. I mean, with gig money and merch money, it's a different story. But um, yeah, promotion money is a bit of a horrible one. Um, we don't really... I mean, we, we, we try to promote ourselves, but uh, the thing with enjoyable listens, we've been going for so... Well, I say so long. A decade? Four years. Yeah, we've been going for decades now. Um, it just seems redundant to pour money into promotion when the, the majority of our clientele has been built up as a result of endlessly touring the UK and other places. That we're, we're a very homegrown act in that respect. And I think that that is a quality that is quite rare in the circles I run in. That I mean, so our, our fan base are incredibly loyal. They're small, but they're very loyal. Um, you know, they're the kind of people that will listen to our record a lot. We just don't, we have a hard time breaking through that, which is, I mean, not to talk like the, the, the label we're on, Fierce Panda, has a knack for cultivating artists that are people's favorite bands. That's all I'll say about that. Mm. Um, What was the first, you know, some people, like I had a roommate on heroin. I don't know what went through his body the first time he did heroin, but he seemed to really enjoy it because he kept doing it. What was the first Enjoyable Listens gig where you are like, yes, this is the pinnacle of my being? And are you still chasing that dragon? Is that you know you know? No, I mean I, I mean I, I was in bands like on and off for a long time before Enjoyable Listens. And Enjoyable Listens is the result of um, there's an artist um, I'm not sure you, you might have heard. He's called Alex Cameron, an Australian guy, and um, he um, he his first concept album was the idea of a tired entertainer who had um, kind of missed his shot but was still you know desperately grasping at the last straws of relevance. And um, his whole setup was him with prosthetic scars on his face, looking like an old crooner. And it was him, a backing track and a saxophonist. And they really hit the nail on the head with that. Um, I mean, I, as soon as we got in job lessons underway, it, just, it all felt right. Uh, the first couple of years felt like we were on something. Now it just feels like we're just kind of, we're slowly fading into the obscurity of being that band that did something for a bit of time, which I'm happy about. I want, you know, yeah. I mean, I see a lot of bands that shoot up and shoot down and a lot of bands that are just desperately trying to just, just trying so hard. But uh, one of my favorite stories is, you know, Paolo Nutini? No, sorry. He's a Scottish artist, singer, songwriter, very big in the UK and, and other places for that matter. 
he's headlining last year this year when we're playing and um he took a bit of a hiatus and uh during that hiatus he became an electrician's mate like the apprentice of an electrician and he he like you know this this huge star he's like played to thousands and thousands of people just took a job as like a tradesman so i think you know a lot of people that do get to that level really do crave that that um uh ambiguity and that um that anonymity that they they, they lose the heart of the game so i'm kind of uh, like teetering on deciding do i really want to be that or am i happy just entertaining the people i entertain and then just driving a van for the rest of my life mm. yeah i think that you cannot buy ambition and you cannot buy authenticity and authenticity is the artist's only currency that's the only playing card we have is authenticity and I so i mean that sorry yeah. go on. well that that being said i read a really interesting article the other day on the new republican I'm not sure what what uh, what that uh, um, that channel does, but um, it was an article on Bowie and how he was saying that inauthentic, like tapping into inauthenticity, was far more valuable because there's like a bunch of lyrics, specifically in in um, Quicksand from Hunky Dory, where he says, "I'm living in a silent film, portraying him in a sacred realm of dream reality," and then again in five years from the Ziggy Stardust album when he says it was cold and it rained and I felt like an actor. And the, the article opened up with a quote from um, Andy Warhol saying that he was certain that he was living, or he was fairly certain that he was living in a film. And then after he was shot in his office, he was even more certain. And I think it's that kind of, it's like we're all masquerading as caricatures of who we want to be. And that's the interaction that people have with us. So to them, it seems authentic, but really we know we're just bolstering all of our insecurities in a very tangible format for people to latch on to and that is it authenticity i don't know you tell me i don't know uh, i'm just uh asking the questions here man i don't know oh, sorry man sorry sorry it's i don't all... need to file a question back it's all um, over for me yeah no it's, it's over for me i'm doing this uh for the people for the little people out there who still have a dream but i'm done exactly that exactly that no i, I i'm fully on board with that i mean like um when on our first three-week tour um, a couple of years ago we played a bunch of really small venues all over the UK and there were some of the best shows you played to a room of like 20-30 people and you know like a lot of them are in their 40s, 50s and you know they're kind of latching on to what they would have been doing when they were our age and there was a guy called London Bob who uh, really hated him that smoked weed but also really was trying to sell us lots of prescription drugs um, Oh London and, Bob you know, get your life London together Bob him and Mad Pierre, who owned the the chestnut tree in um in Worcester, it's like these people are living their authentic lives, but they're far more of a rock star and caricature within their local circles than I could ever hope to be. And it's like, do you do you do yourself for becoming like a, 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 an icon of status within your local sphere, or do you just press onwards and batter your head against the brick wall of adversity for a chance at making something? That, I feel like the more the more you try that, the more you spread yourself thin. I don't know. It's it's a philosophy that I'm constantly wrestling with, really. Mm. Sure. I mean, every plane ticket you get on, I mean, you know, I got shows on my calendar and I don't know. I'm just when people invite me to do stuff, I do it. That's where I'm at now. You played uh, one of my favorite bands is a band called Electric Six and you played with them. Were they nice to you in the green room? To be honest, um, Dick Valentine, I don't think it's his real name. I, I mean, we had great feedback from those two shows. We're going on tour with them again over summer. 
and I look forward to getting to know them a lot more so this time around. We only played two shows, both of which were sold out in Bedford and Peterborough. Um, but we're playing uh, five of the shows this this tour around, which culminates with the London show at Dingwalls in Camden, which I think has been renamed to Powerhouse now. But like they're they're a prime example of that. Like their entire um, legacy is founded on this character that the lead singer Dick Valentine has portrayed in such a way with a sick band behind it. They're just incredibly tight. They're they're, they're, they're like I mean you know they they come from Detroit. They come they do the tours. They'll sell out five hundred cap venues. And I'm just happy to be a part of it. I'm happy to to be a part. Like you know, when I used to watch Kerrang, which is the the rock music channel in the UK, and it was a magazine before that, but it was a music channel later on. You know, Electric Six videos would be plastered all over that when I was a youngster. So to be so to be on tour with them is a real is a real, yeah. It's it's something that I'm incredibly happy about and proud of. Yeah, I went to college in New York City and I saw them and I, I'll never forget how good they are. They were fucking great. And uh, he's, he's just got he's, he's, he's like it's it's his voice. His voice has got such conviction when he says fire in the Taco Bell in, in high voltage. <laughs> it, he just says it was such vigor and just such nuance. That's like, whoa, man, like any any band that can say or any lead singer can say fire in the Taco Bell with that level of conviction immediately has my support. Absolutely. And he came out so, so disinterested, the whole band set up and he, he showed up late. Like, you know, they played, you know, instrumentals for like three minutes, five minutes. And we're like, where is he? He come out, his hair was all messed up. Uh, he, he made it like he showed up late and like, he looked like a, a high school substitute teacher. And then yeah, the he's... second he started screaming it he just it, 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 he just exploded. I mean, Electric Six fucking rocks. So they do. They undeniably do. Um, what is the origin story of Enjoyable Listens? I just you know I wanted to do a roll call. I met uh, Dr. Jamie Jimbo Savage and Miss Florence, and I was hoping uh, that they would all be here. What is the origin story of Enjoyable Listens? You know. Um. So Jamie and I, we lived. Uh, do you have guardianships in the states? Um, is that foster parents? What is guardianship? <laughs> no, so a guardianship is where a property that's scheduled to be uh, demolished or sold is. Um, uh, so during that during that intermittent pit that that in between period, um, if they want security for the building, they might get a guardianship company who let people live in that building for a heavily subsidized rate just to keep people there to keep squatters out to keep people from breaking in out um so jamie and i've been friends we've been in bands for a long time um but then we we lived in this pub as, as guardians for a year and during that time i was really going for the whole ambitious singer songwriter listening to a lot of bowie thinking okay I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm, really sorry. In- I'm sorry you lived in a pub yeah like a, it used to be a, an active pub and now it was closed and you were living there and taking, uh, there was like little sinks that you were taking baths in. Is that what you're talking, telling so, me? So, so, so the downstairs of the pub was our kind of like common room where we'd all hang out and there were 10 rooms above the pub plus a kitchen plus the, 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 um, the top floor that we could kind of hang out on, like the, the roof and watch the London Marathon runners go past near the pub garden. Um, but there were 10 of us that lived there and it was a very, unsustainable way of living but for a brief period of time it was truly magical we had cultivated a real sense of community there in fact uh going back to one of our friends who was a heroin addict uh, one of our friends milos who was a i think a late 40 something serbian guy who lived there 
he he was on heroin for a decade and he, his advice to me was if you're going to do heroin just do it twice <laughs> which i think is really bad advice going from but he he gave he gave jamie like acid for the first time and that was a that was a wild experience i was um i was dressed fully in white um and i i thought i was an angel and i had real kind of like uh trippy like ancient Egypt hallucinations with lots of hieroglyphs. Um, that's besides the point. But um, Jamie and I would um, we so we were we had a, a little band called Mignon Spitz before enjoyable listeners, and we would dress up. I would put on a skeleton suit and a top hat, and Jamie would put like a kimono style dress on and play keyboards, and I'd play the electric guitar, and we would just jam and improvise in um, Greenwich. There's there's a tourist location called the Cutty Sark. Which was, I think, it was Admiral Nelson's ship from you know the 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 eighteenth century, and we we would we would jam there, collect enough money to go to the Weatherspoons, which is, it's like imagine if Denny's was a pub. That's what a Weatherspoons is. It sells cheap food and it sells really cheap booze. And we'd go uh, to Spoons and spend our our money on spits money. Then once we'd spend that, go back and jam again. But off the back of that, I. I wrote a, um, a six-track EP, which was the first enjoyable listens release, a professional selection. And then when I moved back to the home counties, Buckinghamshire, where I'm originally from, an hour outside of London, um, I said, look, let's do this together. You play the bass, I've got the tracks. And we just started off there, and it, it really hit the right notes for a while because no one had seen anything like it. It was very unorthodox compared to all the bands we were playing with. Um, but then it became a caricature of itself relatively quickly. We had broken up maybe four or five times within the space of two years. In fact, we, we had broken up before we came to South by, but I convinced Jamie to come out, um, and he did. And then we met you, and here we are. How many times have, so you say four times you guys have broken up as a band. What was the yep. lowest, what was the lowest one? Out of the four, what, which was the most volatile breakup of Enjoyable Listens? The, he the heaviest one was probably after, after I first got married. I convinced Jamie to record the enjoyable listens first album in his bedroom and at this point jamie had only really learned how to work his way around recording technology and software and um, it was just a week straight of me living in his horrible little bedroom on holloway road above a kebab shop um we drank a lot of fosters which is like uh i guess your lone star but more disgusting um this is it's an australian beer and we just um we recorded the entire album but during that time there was there was like a level of conflict between Jamie and I that was unprecedented because we were both moving in different directions as a, as a result of you know living in different places geographically, and he kind of threw in the towel and said, "Look, I'm just not willing, you know, to kind of put as much into this anymore. You know, I'm not willing to kind of not, you know, oh, it was it was he felt like he wasn't being listened to, and I felt like I wasn't being listened to, but he then left and he started his own band called Down Otter, which were very good for a brief period of time. He got some good shows. In fact, I came to his first show. He supported a Duran Duran tribute act at the Dublin Castle in Camden, which used to be a legendary venue that Amy Winehouse, the Libertines, and you know the Arctic Monkeys were played in the kind of early noughties. Um, uh, I remember standing next to his mum, being incredibly proud of him. We didn't really talk for a while, and then the pandemic happened, and then I'd recorded a bunch, and at that point I'd been signed to a management roster, and things were looking up in terms of getting a deal on Fierce Panda. And then post-pandemic, he was so eager to play a show that he just hopped back on. But during during the pandemic, we we didn't speak and it was it it got quite horrible. Hmm. 
Any any fistfights by the pool in Austin? No, I mean we 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 a lot of verbal fistfights. The only time we've ever come to blows physically is when we were living in the pub in Greenwich, and on the rooftop we used to we we had a little fight club syndicate going where we would just trade blows, and it, it was quite cathartic. Uh, actually, he um, I remember once I I hit him and he went back to hit me and he he misstepped and he rolled on his ankle and um, did something to all the ligaments and he didn't go to hospital. Un- unadvisedly and his ankle went fully black like fully black so i um i i made him a crutch out of some scrap pallet wood in, in the garden and he'd use that to get around up and down the stairs and he just he um he didn't really leave the lordhood which is the pub we lived in for you know a couple of weeks and um he wore this basketball vest relentlessly and it, he he got a bit stinky after a while um that yeah that's that's in terms of physical fights that's that's it really um, well, I have a secret because you are on the Highway Diary podcast right now because Luke Duffett, when I saw your outfit, I mean, it was spectacular. And I, as soon as you guys uh, packed your gear in my car and I, I was sworn um, to take you to your gig, I thought there's something special with these people. Not everyone dresses like rock stars. Not everyone speaks like rock stars. You guys are fucking rock stars. Um, I appreciate that. I was in, this is so embarrassing for me to say, um, you know, I was in Richard Lord's boxing gym on Thursday and I, I, there's a sweatpants, it's not even sweatpants. People are showing up to McCallum High School behind Richard Lord's boxing gym in pajamas. I mean, I want to cry. So this kid, he followed the bandwagon of wearing pajamas and then on his free period, he, this, I don't know, he's sophomore or something. He shows up in pajamas to Richard Lord's boxing club and he starts lifting weights. And I said, excuse me, what do you think you're doing? And then I got it. And he's like, what do you mean? I want to be comfortable. I go Her- heroin's real comfortable. Let's see where that takes you. And then I Jeez. got a sledgehammer and I started hitting it in my fist. And I said, I'm not threatening you. I'm not threatening you. Where did you get a sledgehammer from in the gym? Well, we we use them to work out. Boom. We hit okay. tires with sledgehammers. It's a very common you, okay. boxing practice. I, I, sorry, I, did, I didn't know that. Do you, do you have other tools in the boxing gym? Of course. We have kettlebells. We have uh, battle ropes. We have all sorts like, of like, heavy specific, bags. Specifically other tools. Do you have like chainsaws, like uh, like like uh, routers, that kind of thing? Um, We have chains. Listen, okay. let, me, let me just get back to this kid because it really bothered sorry, me. Sorry. So I took I took a sledgehammer and I informed him I was not threatening him. It was very clear <sighs> for me to say that because later on in the if this ends up in a police report, what was the quote? He's not threatening you, you know, and I just kept doing this. And I said, listen, I'm not threatening you. But if if you wear pajamas to the gym again, we're going to ha- me and you are going to have problems. I just left it open like that. And he goes, what do you want me to wear? And I go, I don't know, mesh mesh athletic shorts, sweatpants, or some kind of athletic gear. Pajamas Mm. are for sleeping and not nothing else. And he's like, but everyone's doing it. And I was like, you're, you are fetishizing laziness. What do you, that is what you are putting out in the world. I am so comfortable that I can, even if, even if you show up with the, 
homework. And you're like, I want to be comfortable. And he said, this is self-care. I go, what's the point of self-care if you don't have self-respect? Truth. And so the next time I saw him Friday, yesterday, and he showed up with lovely athletic gear. And I said, okay, listen. And I said, good job. I go, where are the pajamas? You know what he told me? I set them on fire. And I said, that's the right answer. True story. That's extreme. That's extreme, man. But he I, li- said, I like. Yeah, he said he hated his former self. He set them on fire. I like that you have that level of um, presence. That you, that you can um, you can inspire people to go that extreme. I mean, like for me, I I I rarely I used to go to the gym a lot. I, I've been a few times over the past year. I'm. I mean, I, I lift a lot of stuff throughout the day anyway. So you know, not necessarily the biggest need to go. But I mean, if I'm going to go for a run, I'll put some Doug Martens. You know, I look like a World War II evacuee when I work out, and mm. I think there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. You know, I, 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 you know, what's you know, get some Converse on. Look like Rocky Balboa. I think you know, working out is uh, it's a, it's a cathar- it's it's catharsis, and you should look like you're there to endure and punish yourself, not be comfortable. Yes, exactly, exactly. Everyone's trying to be comfortable. Everyone wants to live in a safe space, even learning environments. Oh my God. But I have, you know, I changed my gender 90 times today. I need a safe space to deal with my poor shit. And then and then you're uh, Will Smith's kids. Anyway, um, I, I wrote this on Facebook. I want to know if you can co-sign this. You can be a very dangerous person with a wall calendar and a red pen. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's ambiguous. No, it's not. If you have a wall calendar and a red pen and every fucking thing you write on your wall calendar, you do. You're a dangerous person. Oh, so I thought you meant like kind of like crossing off the days like an inmate where you're just like waiting to get out. <laughs> no, um, no. Yeah. You you, oh, no. you are writing your own destiny. Yeah, well, of course, I 100 percent take the the view that you should be disciplined enough to carry through with the things that you have planned in your future 100%. Yeah, I mean, if you if you have a level of organization, you're one step above 90% of people. So, yeah. How mm. to you, man. All right. Um, so, what's next for Enjoyable Listens? The opening opening for Electric 6 and touring the UK? Is that is that the plan? When is that happening? Yeah. Um, well, we've, we've before that, we've got The Great Escape. We're doing the, the side, the, the festival runs, runs alongside that called The Alternative Escape in Brighton in May. Um, that's always quite wild. It's like a smaller version of South by Southwest, but far more, um, it's a far more nucleus kind of all within a half mile radius uh, in Brighton. Um, and then after that, we've got the, we're playing Glastonbury. Um, and then, then it'll be the Electric Six Tour. And then I will see what happens. I have no idea. I can't plan that far ahead. Hmm. And what do you have to do as a, as a, the front man? How, uh, to to not have a fifth breakup with Dr. Jamie, Jimbo Savage, and Florence, how do you have to manage him? Do you have to listen to his needs more, perhaps? I mean, there's a certain level of that, but the thing is, like, like Jamie's quite a misanthropic person. You know, he works as a solitary pawnbroker, and he does his thing. And obviously, I do listen to him. I take everything he says on board, and we have these long dialogues where we come to conclusions, but largely it's me acting in a very roguish autonomous fashion and then having to apologize for you know 
the the lack of communication. I don't really know, to be honest. I, I think Enjoyable Listens is destined to break up a few more times before the end of the year. So I guess we'll just, we'll see where it goes. We'll see what happens. But all will be well in the end. You know, even, even if Enjoyable Listens does suddenly erupt in a fiery inferno, I know that I'll probably see Jamie at least once or twice a year. Hmm. Um, hey, you have some good tracks to play in hell. Um, this has been <laughs> Highway Diary, episode 378, with Luke Duffett, frontman of Enjoyable Listens. I have a couple plugs myself. Go to erichollerbach.com. I got gigs on the calendar. I'm going to be in uh, outside Nashville, Tennessee in June. I'm playing with Alex Stein um, in May. And uh, September 9th, 2023, uh oh my i don't want to plug this guy but uh klaus schraub jr is doing a <laughs> tinfoil hat comedy night at the vulcan gas company um what a pleasure to know you luke uh i think we got on we had a what a 10 minute conversation and i was like i like i love this guy Th- these are my kind of people struggling independent artists who got their fucking eye on the ball no matter how uh shit uh you know the dream gets and uh, oh, and, and it does get <laughs> all right bud thanks for uh doing my dog and pony show appreciate you oh, no